Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body, bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. Life is hard and can be very, very rough at times. And I look across the congregation and I can just about, since we're so close-knit and we're family, I can see. And then, uh, so a lot of this applies to a lot of you, but a lot of it's for me. So this was a, a one I had to wrestle with. And uh, it's called The Boxer, Still in the Fight. The old boxer sat rocking in his, and as he stared out the window in an apparent trance, his Bible still open on his lap. The falling snow seemed to give him a sense of relaxation. His eyes shifted as a red bird came to light on his bird feeder. The sunflower seed and nut and berry suet was always a big draw, especially when the first big snowfall came. As he stood to walk to the window, all the old aches and pains from his many injuries reminded him of his age and limitations. The big fight came back into his mind, as it had hundreds of times before. He leaned against the windowsill, remembering the grueling preparation that the title bout required. His strength and stamina allowed him to climb the ranks quickly, but his skill level was questioned by most of the puntons. His athletic prowess as a young man was well known. He could outlift, outrun, and outlast everyone around him. His confidence quickly morphed into cockiness as his trainer and coaches praised him. The weeks of intense training had turned him into a real animal. His nickname arrived and stuck at week two of his program. His sparring partners had given him the name long before he even knew it. When they talked among themselves, Killer truly was deadly as he sent one of them to the hospital, even with a protective headgear in place. His crushing right hook was enough to give a bowling ball a concussion. However, his love for his sweets had sidetracked his nutrition plan to the point of missing weight if it hadn't been for dehydration, starving, and the sauna the day before. Not the best idea for someone getting ready to go 15 championship rounds. His confidence and self-reliance plummeted the day he broke protocol. Until then, he had stuck to the advice of his head trainer, Lynn, to not watch coverage of his opponent on TV. Although he knew the man well because he had held the belt for two years and was undefeated, he couldn't believe the quickness and power that that 30-second spot showed. The man was definitely in the shape of his life. He knew he had cheated on his own diet, and his loss of speed was apparent to anyone with a good eye. The girl in his life was pushed aside not so much by him, by his stringent handlers. They seemed to run his very life, professional and personal. The training cramp camp was strictly off limits to the public, and only hand-picked reporters were allowed in. His speaking skills were lower than average, and his promoter guarded him closely. Although he had only met Clara two months prior, it seemed they were bonding quickly, and he felt like it was a mistake for them to be apart. She seemed to have a special inner strength that he really felt he could use about now. He remembered the stories from his Sunday school teacher, but his rebellion and independence got in his way. During his teenage years, his friends stood ready to confirm that church was not for him. But Clara had convinced him to attend a couple of services. Something was stirring. As the day of the fight grew closer, 
fears arose and his confidence began to wane. <clears throat> Seeing his opponent's training session on TV was a mistake and the doubts he pretended not to have soon surfaced. His team sensed there was something wrong and their false support only made things worse. By fight night, he was a defeated man before he stepped in the ring. All his worldly assurances seemed to fade away. His team finally realized they could not produce in him confidence out of thin air. Thirty minutes before the fight time, Clara stood at the door. The room quickly cleared, and the tears flowed. As they embraced, no permission was necessary. She began her prayer. Dear Lord, please let us into your court. Dare we ask for your protection? The depth of her prayer was so real and genuine that his heart began to open. Suddenly, he found himself face down on the floor, and his soul was laid bare. The spirit filled the locker room, and the transaction was complete. New joy and peace filled the boxer, so completely that all fear was gone. An inner strength that he had never felt before made him leap to his feet, and he headed for the ring. The old boxer took another sip of coffee, came to rest on the couch, where he could still observe his bird feeder, and his mind went back to the fight night yet again. As his eyes got heavy, he remembered stepping into the ring. The stare-down was on full display in the middle of the ring. Hatred and evil were mixed into the chilling, piercing glare of his opponent. The old adage, if looks could kill, was definitely true. However, the hatred the boxer tried to work up simply would not come. It was as if his new self no longer had any desire to hate. Back to his corner he went. The bell rang and it was the beginning of the battle of his life. The packed house applauded as the fighters both came aggressively to the center of the ring. It didn't take long for the boxer to notice the superior foot speed of his opponent. Midway through the first round, his nose was trickling a steady flow of blood. His opponent's lightning quick jab and reach advantage could not be denied. His Russian maul method was not working and the boxer was already winded at the end of the first round. The boxer was none too anxious to start the second round, but the bell sounded anyway. His wonderful right hook so far had hit nothing but air. Any cockiness that he had remaining was soon gone when he got knocked off his feet for the first time. The analysts had given him praise in previous fights for having, as they called it, an iron jaw. It had helped him outlast other fighters for winning decisions. The difference was he was able to land some good blows himself. Now his lack of training discipline made him look like a sloth compared to his speedy opponent. With his bloody nose and puffy eye, he gladly retreated, retreated to his stool at the end of the second round. By the start of the third round, the announcers were discrediting the boxer and his whole team for lack of preparation and strategy. They now predicted the, the fight could last no more than two more rounds. The boxer came out determined to trap the champion in a corner, hold him, and make it a toe-to-toe brawl, but the crafty fellow just wouldn't cooperate. Again and again, as the challenger tried to land his haymaking right hand, all he got was another peppering on his nose and right eye. His anger grew, and he was gulping for air when round three was complete. The champion's motto was he could move like a hummingbird and sting like a hornet. The challenger had convinced himself that he could stand up to a hornet sting. But after three rounds of constant punishment, those stings were feeling more like a mule kick. 
Then those stinging lifts were abruptly interrupted by a huge overhand right. He could hear his nose crunch just before the back of his head hit the canvas. He blacked out, but came to on the count of four, managed to get to his feet before nine. The barrage of jabs kept him off balance, and he never saw the big one coming. Wouldn't you know it? The next big one landed right on his half-closed eye, and by the end of the round four, it was closed tighter than a drum. If he could run and hide, he would, but there was nowhere to go, and the whole world was watching. He barely made it back to his corner. As he hung on the ropes, he looked down, and he and Clara's tear-filled eyes met. As the trainer sat sat him down, he said, That's it, killer. We're stopping this. The boxer shoved him back and said, No. Some ice on the eye and gauze in the nose, and he went out for more abuse. No one believed he could take more, but he came out swinging. He was trying his best to make it a wrestling match, but the experienced champion would have none of it. Every time the challenger reached for a bear hug, nothing was there. Then the great beatdown began. His midsection weakness and lack of training were now exposed, and his opponent went after his body with all his might. Finally, the boxer had to drop his arms to protect his kidneys, but when he did, his chin was exposed, and the next thing he knew, he was on the canvas again. He rolled over, grabbed the ropes, and pulled himself up on the count of eight. His head was dizzy, but he still nodded yes when the referee asked him if he could continue. Now the champion knew his challenger was becoming less and less dangerous, and his left jab was replaced with a stiff arm to measure and deliver his powerful right hands. The flurry of combinations was impressive from the champion, as he was determined to end it with a knockout, but the round ended. The challenger staggered back again to his corner and tried to steady himself on the ropes, but dropped to his knees. Faith to continue in his own natural self-sufficient strength was gone. He was always an overcomer, relying on himself. But now, faced with sure defeat, this turning it over to God thing Clara had talked about was clear. Finally, for the first time in his life, the boxer knew what real prayer was. The announcers proclaimed the fight was over. Little did they know, new strength was coming from the secret place. There wasn't enough time to convey all he felt in this short time between rounds, but time miraculously stood still, and he spilled out his heart before the king of the universe. The boxer provided the will, and the spirit provided the words. Yes, Lord, I am yours. I am ready to face my fears. I give you my everything. From his cozy couch, the old boxer's eyes went from barely opened to closed. His body relaxed, and the sixth round began. At the start of the sixth round, his remaining good eye was closing, but his super, but his spiritual eyes were now wide open. This was not a war of fists alone, nor was the prize a golden belt, money, or prestige, but a battle for the dedication of the mind, body, and spirit of this new saint. Could he overcome his idols to truly serve the one who first loved him? The sanctification process began. The spiritual fight was on. Although the soul was secure, the battle could not be avoided. It must be fought. The devil's rep suddenly had an audible voice, and at the beginning of every round, he was in the corner of the boxer, leaning in to remind him of a specific sin that would disqualify him from being a child of God. Just before the sixth round, he leaned in and whispered, How do you like those donuts now? Yes, gluttony, 
will cost you this title. The boxer remembered his closet donuts. He looked across the ring, and to his surprise, it was the same fighter, but with a new ungodly essence. The champion was not necessarily possessed, but he definitely fought like it, and there was no doubt the earthly powers were on his side. The boxer imagined that each of his, the champion's gloves were giant donuts, and written across his chest in sugar was gluttony. The round started, and the challenger realized those gloves were anything but soft donuts. As the round progressed, the champion seemed to, to be entirely focused on the challenger's soft belly. A low shot landed dead center of the challenger's stomach, and his loose, weak ab muscles seemed to disintegrate. Another soon followed, and down to the canvas he went again, with his wind totally knocked out of him. He rolled to his knees and elbows, gasping for a breath, and barely made it to his feet before the count of ten. The referee's eyes seemed to be blinded to the brutality everyone else could see, but by now the spirit world had control of the, of the ring. The grand battle of life and death was televised worldwide, and even the viewers knew and felt what was at stake, good versus evil. Then he felt the, the Lord's hand on him, and he mustered the strength to last out the round. As he collapsed on the stool, he heard an inner voice of assurance saying, This one is preserved, for he is mine. Now again, before the sound of the bell for round seven, the voice of another cohort of the evil one reminded him, You are a slanderer. And the memories of his many verbal attacks and lies against others flashed through his mind. He looked across the ring at his opponent, and written on his chest was, You're a gossip. And spewing from his mouth were lies and obscenities, blaspheming the Lord and belittling the challenger, insisting he was not worthy to be a child of the king. The taunting from the champion was continuous as he toyed with the challenger, tapping on his already broken nose until midway of the seventh round. Then a well-executed left hook sent the boxer's mouthpiece clear out of the ring. The very next punch was a nasty uppercut that caused him to bite his tongue most of the way through. He could hardly breathe with the loss of blood, but he managed to stay upright for the last 60 seconds, running and covering. He collapsed once again in his corner, and he heard the voice of the Lord ministering to his broken spirit. Stand your ground. You're not in this fight alone. He was energized once again and scrambled to his feet. As he slowly raised his head, he was given the vision of a greater spiritual reality. As each round passed by, the spirit world became prominent. The physical world was fading. The idol of the title belt was gone. He was no longer striving for the grassy wreath that withers away. All he cared about now was attaining the true prize, the golden crown that lasts forever to glorify his Lord. He now glanced out at the first rows, rows and he could see, seated amongst the neutral earth dwellers, a host of demons rooting against him, and up in the press booth were more little evil spirits sitting on the announcer's shoulders and whispering in their ears. With five seconds remaining before round eight, he again looked across to his opponent's corner. The champion had in one hand a pornographic magazine and in the other hand a bottle of whiskey. On his chest was written, You're a drunken deviant. All his poor choices and promiscuous lifestyle flooded into his mind. His drinking and infidelity that led to his divorce made him question his redemption again. Supernatural assurance was given again. You're forgiven. And as the bell rang, he said out loud, 
I am a weak vessel, cracked and tainted, but I am yours. Surprisingly, the boxer was successful in obtaining an early clinch. Then even more surprisingly, the champion would not let go and reminded him of all his lustful thoughts, nasty locker room talk. The challenger finally broke free and scrambled away, fleeing the painful words more than the next punch. He could run no more as the champion cornered him and delivered a vicious low blow to the groin. He folded up like a briefcase and hit the canvas like a sack of potatoes. Everyone in the arena saw the low blow, but the referee. The boxer looked up, hoping for a call, but all he saw was an ugly rat-like demon sitting on the ref's head with his hands covering the poor man's eyes. The champion stood over him and reminded him of all his long struggle with alcohol, and he cringed in shame as he recalled his terrible actions and decisions. He managed to stand again only to receive an unaltered haymaking left hook to the temple. His eyes were closed before he landed. Get up. Get up. Everything in his ear being shouted, and if this fight and belt were the only thing at stake, his corner would have thrown in the towel long ago. But it wasn't. He was fighting as the representative of the risen Savior. He was infused with just enough strength to grab the ropes and pull himself to his feet. The bell saved him yet again, and luckily, or was it luck, he was in his corner. The crafty serpent of old had been manipulating the referee, the press box, and even the announcers. He wanted to destroy the boxer. Little did he know he was helping in the refining process of a heaven-bound saint. Then a verse the boxer could vaguely remember was brought to his mind with clarity by the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 6.12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of the darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. He looked out at the crowd again, and he could see the devilish fiends laughing. They seemed to have great pleasure in his suffering, and their jeering and whooping and hollering pierced his ears and made him sick to his stomach. He could no longer hear his coaches. The spirit world drowned them out. He dreaded to look at his opponent to see what was written on his chest, but his fears were confirmed. Written in blood were pride and vanity. He was dressed in a tux and had his hair slicked back. Extremely large diamond rings were on each of his middle fingers, and he wasn't about to take them off before round nine. With the sound of the bell, the boxer's main objective was to avoid being cut to pieces by the diamond rings. He and his corner were protesting the absence of the champion's gloves, but the referee was in a spiritual-induced stupor and didn't even seem to know where he was. A flurry of combinations had the challenger's face looking like hamburger by mid-round. Another left hook put him to the canvas once more. This time all went black. Suddenly he heard a chorus of, ain't of heavenly beans. Then he was floating above the ring, looking down fully aware of what was happening below as he watched himself in the fight of his life. He looked up to see a row of fiery chariots sitting behind the world-dwelling demons. His pain and exhaustion left as he hovered over the ring. Now his spiritual eyes were fully open. The evil puppet masters in the first row had strings attached to the champions, to the champion enhancing his power and ability. All angelic hosts and all the devilish spirits were present, the biggest prize in history at stake, the dedication of a man's heart. He saw himself stand up again, and as the round was allowed to continue, but a very bright light came from the back of the arena that struck the champion with blindness.
With 45 seconds remaining in round nine, the challenger had protection. With few punches, none landed until the very last second, when another huge right hand spun the challenger a full 180 degrees, knocking all pride and vanity right out of him. With his mutilated face hanging over the ropes, the whole world felt his embarrassment. And in his ear, he heard the last portion of James 4.6. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He was a mess. Every person in the house except Team Devil pitied the poor guy. As round 10 was about to begin, he saw written on the champion's chest, Obstinate Rebellion. And draped around his neck was a sash that read, Stubborn Resistance. The boxer dropped his head in dread and remembered the many excuses he had gave, gave to avoid any attempt to come to the Lord. Then another evil fiend shouted in his ear, drowning everything else out, You're guilty and vile. You've pushed your so-called God away all your life, and he wants nothing to do with you now. The bell rang, and the champion was becoming more and more dangerous, the light of the boxer's failing endurance. The flickering jabs continued as the champion searched for a place on the challenger's face that wasn't already cut. The bombardment only stopped when the champion, aided by his puppet masters, had another message for him. The champion pushed him into the ropes and bear-hugged him again for another unwanted conversation. Your heart is still up for grabs, and I'm taking it. With two minutes left in the round, the champion shoved his opponent into a corner and gave him one more barrage before lowering his head and giving him a ruthless headbutt. The top of the champion's head crashed into the challenger's forehead, split it open like an overripe watermelon. He went reeling back, bounced off the ropes, and landed face down yet again. His corner was screaming, foul, but again, the referee saw nothing. No one knew how he got up again, but he did. The evil realm wanted him finished now. Would this newborn be a threat to further the kingdom of their enemy? He was a true danger, being well known, and the sooner he was eliminated, the better. Somehow, he survived the round, but the canvas was a bloody mess. He wobbled back to his corner and collapsed on the stool. Now he knew what that round meant. His jaw wasn't the only thing that was hard. He realized his head was hard also, in more ways than one. Refusing to hear the Lord and turning away from the word of God was the most damaging thing he had ever done to himself. The Holy Spirit spoke clearly. My newborn child, you must learn to cooperate. Speedily you will rise and grow, however rough it may be. Your lack of prayer and reading the word may require a rockier path. Then the evil underworld had charged again, and a diabolical ghoul whispered, Now you're going to feel the wrath of a real hatred and anger. The message written on the chest of the opponent now read, Angry Impatience. And the scowl on his face put a deeper fear into the boxer. Round 11 began, and as he stepped out, time was altered again by the heavenly host, and with, with complete clarity, even though he could only vaguely remember the verse, a seemingly audible voice recited it in his ear, Isaiah 41:13. For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. And even though his new courage gave him the confidence to take another step, it was right into an anger-motivated overhand right. He did a complete 360 and leaned with his back against the ropes. His armpits were the only thing holding him up, and his eyes rolled back in his head. He couldn't fall down, 
and was a sitting duck. The champ wound up to deliver his famous roundhouse bomb when an angel of the Lord intervened and was standing between them. All the champions saw was a bright light. Only the boxer in the spirit realm could see the ten-foot-tall entity holding the arm back of the champion. The boxer's observation skills were keener, and his clarity of mind became seemingly supernatural. He suddenly went from unconscious to superconsciousness. Everything was clear now. The absolute, absolute love of Jesus was so real, time stood still. He remembered yet more of his many failures due to his anger and impatience and his lack of love for those around him, but forgiveness prevailed again as he heard the entity quote Acts 10.43. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. The being stayed by his side the rest of the round. Each time he was knocked down, two hands that were unseen by the crowd lifted him back to his feet to fight on. Although the accuser tried hard to condemn the boxer, the end of the round, he knew in his heart forgiveness had prevailed. Satanic temptations beckoned him once again at the break between round 11 and 12. You're in it for the money and you know it. Think of the luxury that awaits you. Everything money can buy. You'll finally be happy. You'll have everything you've dreamed of. With that, he bowed his head and prayed again. Lord, please help me. You know my weakness. And the Lord gave him a verse. First Timothy 6.10 For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. With that, he stood and saw his opponent. He had written on his chest in green, selfish greed. He had a huge bank bag thrown over his shoulder and a pile of gold coins at his feet. He had a smug grin on his face as if he knew this was the boxer's greatest weakness. The challenger came out to a constant taunting. The crowd went silent so every word could be heard. You're a cheater and a thief. You've justified with every excuse known to man in taking what was not yours. You padded your pockets by crushing the defenseless, taking advantage of every business deal you've made. I don't know how you can stand to look in the mirror, and I know that your God can't stand to look at you either. This one hurt worse than any real gut punch he could imagine because he knew most of it was true. The champion's words were every bit as hard to escape as his punches. And with the crowd quiet, he could now hear the music in the background playing, money, 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 money. Every poor and needy person he ever had ignored came to his mind. His material wealth and self-covetedness now gave him a feeling of shame instead of pride. Another low and solid punch made him take a knee. He looked up again, for help from the referee, but the little goblin had $100 bill in each hand and had covered the ref's eyes with them. Then he remembered pretending not to see the homeless family that lived at the end of, the, of his street under the railway bridge. He waited until nine to catch his breath and stood up on his shaky legs. One more straight right sent him back. 
He bounced off the ropes and into the waiting arms, the champion for yet another unwanted message. Here's one from your precious book, said his opponent. It's easier for the camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Before the round ended, his desire for wealth was gone. He now knew the treasure he yearned for was not of this world. Although the Holy Spirit was hovering above the ring, the depraved tempters were allowed to communicate with the boxer. But the demons seemed to get angrier and angrier each time their legitimate accusations were made, but then overridden by the infinite king of the universe. His spiritual condition was improving, but now his body was wearier than ever. As the bell rang for round 13, was about, he was, uh, as the bell for round 13 was about to ring, he cried out, Lord, I am so tired. A voice that only he heard then thundered from fiery chariots in back of the arena. Until the final day, you must fight on. And the verse was given, Psalm 28, 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and I am helped. He looked over in dread to see what the battle must be fought next. The champion was cooperating with the underworld, mocking him, acting like he was sleeping peacefully on his stool. When he stood up, his chest read, self-comfort, rest, laziness. The thought of the family at the end of the street flashed through his mind. Now many times, and how many times he had passed them at night when the temperature was below freezing. His guilt only grew when the champion held his punches but ran his mouth constantly. He seemed to know all of the details of the boxer's lack of sympathy for others and his lavish lifestyle. Now the ritual of the challenger sitting in his recliner every evening, watching TV and looking at his trophies on the mantle, seared his heart. When the Satan-controlled champion finally tired of his talking, he moved in for the kill. Most of the round had been burned up with a scathing lecture that crucified the soul. Now he wanted to finish the destruction of the body. The speed of the champion, however, seemed to be supernaturally slowed, and the challenger was able to avoid any direct punches the rest of the round. As he walked back into his corner, his deep desire for self-comfort seemed to be gone, and he could feel he was being transformed. He plopped down on his stool, but he knew what was coming. He was about to be exposed. He knew his greatest weakness must be dealt with. His own self-righteousness had blinded him worse than the champion had closed his physical eyes. He melted in horror when he looked to the other corner and saw written on the champion's chest, Unforgiving! Hypocrite! The deep, ugly sin of unforgiveness hit him in the face like a ton of bricks. He hated what he saw, but hated even worse, the whole world could see his sick heart. Once again, the evil spirit leaned in and whispered, You gladly thought you received forgiveness in the locker room, but you can't forgive those who've injured you. Now the realm of satanic darkness and all its cohorts felt with all its, fought with all its might. This one was slipping away from them, and their fear was about to become reality. With the big one written on the chest of the champion, it was their best shot at victory. The puppet masters and accusers of the brethren were all present to try and bring this one home for the father of lies. An unseen obstruction had kept him from the one with the key to forgiveness apart.
Old self-pride had always raised its nasty head again and again. With the ring of the bell he heard in his heart, fight the good fight, faith. There is no depth or height you can go. I am with you always. A solid bright cross floored him again. The whole house saw defeat imminent, but an inner tenacity from above still gave him hope. The champion stood over him, and the first thing he heard when he came to was, Your heart is stained with unforgiveness. You are of no use to your so-called God, you hypocrite. He slowly rolled over, and with the help of the unseen hands, he was on his feet again. Facing the greatest enemy of his heart was the hardest thing he had ever done. He knew he had chosen, he knew he had chosen to forget and tuck away his resentments rather than face and forgive his offenders. He held on to all his anger and chose not to forgive any and everyone who ever hurt him. He, and he had a memory like an elephant. He even tried to fool himself into thinking he forgot and forgave, but he still felt the burn of his unforgiving attitude. Only the cross could conquer. His admission of malice and unforgiveness got him closer to the pure truth of the Lord and brought him to his knees. Now the crowd was baffled because the champion was over in his own corner and appeared to be shadow boxing. Little did the earth dwellers know angelic flames were dancing around the champion's head and he was trying to swat them away like flies. A prayer transpired in the middle of the ring in the middle of the 14th round. The biggest emotional breakdown by a tough guy boxer ever was worldwide televised. He prayed, Lord, I know I have harbored unforgiveness in my heart all my life. Please forgive me of my unforgiveness. I come to you now, and I lay it before your throne. With that, he was freed. The bell rang. Taking his first step toward his corner, he saw his trainer was replaced by one who looked like the Son of Man. He was standing in the corner to receive and minister to him. The boxer ran to him and fell into his arms. All the worldlings could see was a broken-down fighter barely able to stand for the last round. They had no clue he was about to be refreshed under the fountain of grace. Then, without a spoken word, the message was conveyed directly to the boxer's heart. The work was done before the first round. But your willingness to fight for a relationship with me has been a sweet aroma to the Lord. The many crowns you will receive will make the titles of this world insignificant, and your newfound love for me will, re will replace the fleeting pleasures you've chased. Live, and yes, fight for our love. My children are equipped to be more than conquerors. These deceivers will never prevail. You are mine. I would give whatever it takes to hold you secure. And I did. It is done. You have fought well. Your effort is your victory. Love has sustained you. Then most of the crowd thought that they saw a bolt of lightning from the thunderstorm outside, but the entire spirit world saw everything. The challenger's back arched and his head flew black back. His arms went rigid as if he was being crucified. But instead, he was being energized with the power of the Holy Spirit. Two balls of lightning went from his shoulders to his fists and popped like cherry bombs. And as the one like the Son of Man released him, miraculously, both of his eyes were open fully. 
His pain and weariness were gone. He was now full and brimming over, totally saturated with the power from above. He came out like a buzzsaw in round 15, and for the first time he saw fear in the eyes of the champion, and on his chest was written, Exposed Deception. All the fears of the newborn challenger had been faced, and the ammunition of the enemy was rendered helpless. Now the demonic forces that were in the crowd stood and started backing away in terror. The little demon's free ride was over too. He had a helpless look on his face. His hands were cuffed behind his back. The challenger backhanded the little goblin off the glassy-eyed referee's head, and the rat-like demon scurried helplessly away. The puppet masters on the front row joined the retreat as, as they cut their strings and abandoned the champion. The devil's cohorts in the announcer's press booth were still trying to hold their ground, but they looked shaky as fear enveloped them also. The hundreds of thrown punches that were meant to inflict damage on the challenger were now taking a toll on the champion also. No one could believe what they were seeing. The champion was backpedaling virtually on the run, but the snappy jab was still sufficient to keep the challenger off of him. The battle was finally on a level playing field. The skill of the champion was still quite impressive, but his legs and hand speed were definitely slower without the help of the puppeteers. With two minutes left in the fight, the champion just wanted to stay clear and get the decision. However, his legs were failing him, and the challenger finally managed to keep him in a corner. Both men were out of gas. The boxer knew at this point his only outside chance was a knockout. He could barely move. But with supreme effort, he lifted his arm for one last attempt at his right hook. As he let it go with all his might, the champion was doing the same, and the impact was almost simultaneous. The challenger spun around and went down hard with his face hitting the canvas. He was barely conscious, with no idea where he was. And as he came to, he heard, Five, six, seven, eight, and just made it to his feet before ten. He looked across the ring and a perfect white lamb was standing on his opponent's neck. The crowd was roaring so loud the building shook. Now the lamb stood on the champion's chest, licking him in the face as if to bring him to, but he was out cold. He was in a deep, dead sleep. Not only was the soul reserved, but the heart was one. He was saved by grace through faith. The serpent and his hellhounds were now running like scared rabbits back to their dark underworld. Their fear and disappointment was obvious, and they knew this one was lost and would be of great use to their enemy in bringing more souls to his kingdom. Then the verse that made it all worthwhile to the boxer flashed through his mind. 2 Timothy 4.7 I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. The fallen angels had been used as a tool of the Lord to sift, purge, and finally refine the convert. The sanctification process was a rough one, but the end result was a beautiful new creature, one who could love in a new and better way and be used to further the kingdom of God. The newborn had matured in only ten rounds. A verse came clearly into his mind, Second Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. The old boxer woke up with a smile on his face and took a sip of cold coffee. As he looked outside, a large raven flew off 
just as a white dove landed on the bird feeder. Now he looked back and knew he had been rescued from his own pride by the humble lamb. He remembered how he had been redeemed and held secure through it all. He realized the last ten rounds were a dream, but they were real to him because that is exactly how God saved him. And he spoke out loud to himself, Lord, how, how can it be that you would protect and save a wretch like me? Clara called from the kitchen. The children are on their way, get washed up for supper. And as he stood up gingerly, he could smell her famous fried chicken even through his crooked nose. Let's pray. So dear Lord, all of our lives are like a fight in the middle of the ring. It's prolonged. And it's drudgery at times, Lord, but you sustain us by the unseen hands. So we thank you, Lord, for that. Help us to always fight for you, Lord, fight for the relationship that we can have now with you, Lord. We ask for that special blessing. Lift up the rest of this time we have, Lord. Bless this complete day. and Let us do your will in it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you don't mind, I, I want to share a little bit of a story that we got to hear. Years ago, uh, and I'm looking around at who might remember this. There's Kenny. Uh, Dwayne probably remembers this. Back in the uh, earlier mid-'80s, I believe it was, uh, there was uh, two welterweights, Marvelous Marvin Hagler. Remember, remember Marvin Hagler and Sugar Ray Leonard? Both undefeated. Champions, and we uh, were at Praise Fest in Branson. This uh, went down Tuesday night, and we got to hear Phil Cross, who authored a song that that we sang with Cornerstone for years. That was the song everybody wanted to hear when we would go sing. It was on one of the old albums that we made, entitled "Champion of Love." But it's from the opposite perspective. The champion is different in this story. And Phil talked about watching the weigh-in for the Hagler-Leonard fight. And if you've anybody that's ever watched anything that had to do with boxing, you had to come because you had to make weight. And so they would weigh. They would get their height. They would give their reach. They would give their age. They would do all these things. And the and Phil said he remembered watching this and hearing the guys they were trying to promote this fight, the fight for the ages. And they say the world deserves to know who the undisputed, undefeated, all-time champion of the world is. And he said almost immediately these lyrics started coming to his mind. It's been a long time since I sung this. Listen, because you know, when the announcer in the ring comes out, it's always, ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention? And then he introduces. Here's the lyrics. Maybe I'll try to sing it. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention? 
I want to introduce to you in this corner of the good and the right stands a champion robed in white. His height exceeds the heavens. His weight outweighs the world. His reach reaches everywhere. His age is evermore. He is higher than the highest, greater than the great. No one will ever take his crown away. He's more mighty than the mightiest. He reigns from above. He's the all-time undisputed, undefeated champion of love. And, And the lyric of the second verse, it says, He left his hometown, which Christ did, to enter this arena, the world, to raise his hands in victory for me. An angry crowd crucified the king who wore their crown as they gladly watched the champion going down, dying upon a cross. Oh, but I will never count him out. For I'm a witness of the day he rose to reclaim the title, champion of love. A great lyric. And, and that song, I think it was in Southern Gospel realms, was, was number one on the charts, so to speak, back in that day. And to get to hear Phil, I didn't even know if Phil was still alive. It's been over 40 years ago. And to get to hear him sing and tell the story of that. And then, Scotty, you telling uh, this today. Uh, I thought, how great. How great. Here's what I want to do. We're going to sing one hymn. Then we're going to get into the Word today. How many remember the old hymn, Send the Light? Send the light, the blessed gospel light. Remember that one? Let let, let me share the story. Do you ever hear the story of how this was written? This was written by a gentleman, Charles Gabriel. And this particular hymn was written, written in 1890. And it was written in response to a music director at the church that he was going to. On Easter Sunday they would have a special offering for missions. And they called this offering their golden offering. And so so if you know the lyrics of this song, one of these one of the lyrics says, And a golden offering at the cross we lay. That's because it was written for this church. And that offering that they took up, they called it a golden offering, and it was used to help in missions around the world. And so he wrote this song, and there was missionaries there at the church that Sunday, and one of the missionaries took the lyrics and took the song, and it went out. And it was uh, the most popular song that this gentleman ever wrote. One of the, the, the lyrics of the second verse of the song 
Can I have my monitor back, Jim? It says, we have heard the Macedonian call today. Send the light, send the light. You remember the Macedonian call, right? Here, let, let me read. In Acts 16, this is Paul and Timothy as they're on a missionary journey. Now when they had gone through Phrygia, I, I don't know how to pronounce that one, in the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Today's sermon is going to be from the book of Romans talking about the missionary effort of the Apostle Paul. And, and we're going to know that from time to time as they were out, the Holy Spirit forbid them from going into certain areas. God had a plan. God was in control. And so here they were. After they had come into Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now when he, when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so they went. And such was Paul, being led by the Spirit, going where the Spirit would send him, taking the light of the gospel to the Gentiles. Ah, little, let's sing the old hymn. Dusty, you know the verse? You want me to... I'll, I'll sing the verse. I might have a different version. <laughs> okay. I tell you what, you want to stand? You've been sitting for a while. How about stand and we'll sing this old hymn. There's a call come ringing o'er the restless wave. Send the light. Send the light. There are souls to rescue. There are souls to save. Send the light. Send the light. Send the light. The blessed gospel light. Let it shine.